Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me, uh, he's climbed down from the from the greased up pole down in Philly to uh, to come chat with us here about the Flyers. It's Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, what's going on, man? Hey, it's good to be back, Dimitri. It's been uh, it's been a while, and yeah, you're you're catching uh, you're catching us at a uh, a fun time. It, honestly, the Flyers are fun too, but they're getting overshadowed just a bit by a certain football team in the city. Yeah, the Flyers are uh, are definitely always a good time, or maybe maybe it's not a good time if you're a fan of the Flyers. You're covering them on a daily basis, but they certainly provide us with uh, a lot of storylines to get into. Yeah, it's been um it's been a while since we had you in the show. I feel like we had you around this time last year. I feel like it was sort of like a mid-season sort of thing. So the fact that it's been a, a year now is uh, it's been a long time coming. Definitely, definitely, and it's always uh, always awesome to be on the show. So thanks so much for having me. All right, let's uh, let's do this thing. So the Flyers, man, they um, they're never, and I mean, I mean, ever boring. Uh, you know, they always it always seems like it's something with them, right? It's like. They have that 10 game losing streak. Then they follow it up immediately with a six game winning streak. They're now eight and two in the new year, but it's always like, even when they're winning games, it's always at least like something's going on. It's always overtime magic or something. Like it's never just a, a simple cut and dried victory where they're leading from start to finish and it, and there's no stress. It's always, it's always something with them. No, they truly are never boring. And it's funny because like last year they had the 10 game winning streak and then they were the first team to ever miss the playoffs after having a 10 game winning streak in the season. Now this year they have a 10 game losing streak and now they're sitting in a playoff spot. So they may make the playoffs after having a 10 game losing streak and then miss it the year before after having a 10 game winning streak, which is it's so classic Flyers. It's just there's never you really can never predict what's going to happen next with this team. Yeah, there was uh, that. I feel like that encapsulates the uh, roller coaster ride that is following this team. Um, yeah, you mentioned. I mean, they're sitting third right now in the Metro Division, and obviously that's kind of tenuous footing. I mean, they're, you know, they're tied with the Devils for a second in the in a division with fifty six points, but the next four teams right behind them are all within three points of them. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of jockeying for position, and it seems like every day you can say something, and then by the next day it'll, it'll be proved irrelevant. But the point is, is that they're in that thick of teams that are fighting for the playoff spot, and that provides them with sort of an interesting next couple weeks here. Because I don't know, what do you, what do you think in terms of what they should be setting their sights for um, come the trade deadline? Because I was going to say there's a lot of interesting decisions, but there aren't too many sort of valuable um, 
impending free agents on this team where it's like, oh, you better, you know, if you're not going to contend this year, you better retain them. You you better get some sort of asset back for them. You don't want to see them walk. I mean, like a guy like Val Philpila, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to attract in the trade market, even if he is available. Yeah. So. Yeah, they, they really only have the two expiring contracts, Philpola being the one and then uh, Brandon Manning being the other. And you don't you don't think either of those guys are really going to move the needle. You know, maybe somebody wants to add Philpola as a as a depth guy to, you know, add depth to their uh, their you know center position because he has playoff experience and whatnot maybe somebody sees manning as a, a seven a guy they can stick in the press box in case people get hurt in the playoffs but no the the flyers are in a position where you know they could try to sell or they could try to buy but the problem is is that obviously ron hextall his whole philosophy is, is building from within within and and he's he's not stupid he knows this team isn't that you know, they can get in the playoffs they certainly could do that but they're not going to do a ton of damage unless things really really break their way this is a team that is and an organization that's built to win two years from now so it's hard to imagine he would really dive into his prospect pool or his draft pick pool and and start giving away pieces to try to make the second round rather than just make the first round. Um, at the same time, you know, there's there are spots in this lineup he could look to, you know, maybe fill with some depth pieces, maybe you know, trade away a, a mid to late round pick for for another forward who on an expiring contract. So there there are moves that he could make, but. It's interesting because, as I said, you know, just a month ago, people were talking about that they were one of the worst teams in hockey, and now we're we're unironically discussing whether they might actually look to add a piece at the uh, the deadline. So you never know. You know, maybe by the time the end of February rolls around, they've jumped, they've gotten on another eight game losing streak or something, and now they're they're just trying to sell off anything they can. So we'll see, but. They have options at the uh, you know at the deadline. And they certainly have pieces. Like if they did decide they wanted to go out and add something, they could. I just I don't think they will want to do that based on the situation they're in now. See, I'm I'm thinking going completely the other way here though, and and obviously it's easy for me as uh, you know I have no emotional attachment or anything. I'm just sitting here at home, just thinking about uh, maximizing your assets and sort of optimizing everything you have. And the name I keep coming back to is Wayne Simmons, and I understand that um, you know it's that's probably not going to be a very popular decision if they do decide to trade him one day considering that he's a fan favorite and what he's meant to that franchise ever since he was traded there but i do wonder what the market for him would be like like i know he hasn't had the best season so far but that's one of those things where i mean the track record speaks for itself and they could very easily over the next couple of weeks uh put him up on that top line and pump up his value a little artificially but i mean he's sort of the you know his profile net front guy sort of plays that physical brand of hockey but can also kill penalties he basically does everything he's sort of the perfect playoff player and you could imagine that some contender i don't know i don't know who it would be but they could talk themselves into paying some sort of uh ludicrous premium package to get him for potentially two playoff runs so i don't know like is that something that's too crazy or do you think that, that would actually be a possibility yeah the, the simmons question is fascinating and i think it was it was talked about more during the losing streak because the, the way i look at the way i look at wayne simmons is you know he's a guy where the flyers are going to have a really tough decision if they keep him and this is assuming they don't trade him they're going to have a really tough decision when his contract expires in a in a year and a half because the only way it would make sense to retain him is if they're competitive 
like at the time his contract expires because to retain him, you're probably gonna have to sign him to a long-term deal and you're probably gonna have to sign him to a long-term deal where the second half of the deal is going to hurt. So the only way signing him to a long-term deal and retaining him makes sense, you know, from a, from an asset management standpoint is if you're contending at the beginning of the contract when he's still Wayne Simmons. And the reason why a lot of people were kind of jumped on the bandwagon of maybe it's a good idea to trade him now is because when they were in the heart of the 10 game losing streak, it was very hard to envision that this team was was trending in the right direction. Now it's a little different because they're in a playoff spot. A lot of the young guys are are, turned, are trending in the right direction, trending in the direction that people thought they were going to or hoped they were going to. Now it's a little bit more you know plausible that they could be a, a legitimate contender in in two seasons and. The Flyers, as I said, they're in a tough spot because he is he's a key member of that leadership core. And plus, just from a Philadelphia standpoint, you know, I, I know we talk about how, you know, hockey guys love him, but Philadelphians love him because he brings that, you know, that that energy, not even just energy, but just physicality that they love the whole Broad Street Bullies mentality. And it's not just the fans. The front office loves it, too. And. I think there's a feeling that, you know, maybe they'll be willing to overpay for Simmons because he fits the mold of what they want a Flyers player to be. Um, But at the same time, you know, at some point you have to, you know, face the facts. And if the team, if next year the team isn't good, you can't sign him to a six year deal operating under the assumption that, well, we're definitely going to be good the following year because you don't know. know, Maybe you are, maybe young players take a step forward, but you can't, you can't take a leap of faith and sign a guy like him. He's probably going to get like a Lucic deal. You would think he, he deserves one like that based on his, his past production. But you, do you want to be the team that gives it to him? If you don't know he's, if you're going to be any good in the first two, three years of that deal. So it's a tough question. And truthfully, from a, from a pure asset management standpoint, it probably makes sense to move him. My guess is the flyers won't because of the, you know, there, there, there's, there's an attachment to a player like that, and and you mentioned about how he hasn't been that good this year, and I agree, his numbers aren't as good. It does need to be noted though that he basically played injured for a month, mm-hmm. so that did deflate his numbers. I'm, my guess is he probably should have been sitting out for about two or three weeks in November, and he just played through it because he's Wayne Simmons, and that's something that again the front office loves because you know it's that you know play through anything for the good of the team type of thing. So. Maybe it makes sense to trade him, but I just I I find it hard to imagine they will. I think they're just going to end up biting the bullet, signing him, and then he might not be a great contract. But they're just they they have so many young guys, and they have a couple guys on really good contracts like Couturier and, and Gazespierre that. You know, while ideally you want everybody on good contracts, it might not be the end of the world if they're overpaying Wayne Simmons. Yeah, I mean. When you were talking there, I, I think Lucic is sort of the obvious comparison in terms of uh, from a con- contractual perspective and sort of the playing styles. I guess when Lucic signed his deal, he was a few years younger than Simmons will be. Simmons is going to be 31, I believe, that summer. So, I mean, it would be, even if you're the biggest fan of him, I, just based on what we know, it would be pretty crazy at that point of his career to give him a five, six, seven-year deal. But I guess, you know, we've seen sometimes that GMs just can't help themselves. So if it's not Ron Hextall and the Flyers, I'm sure that there's going to be one team out there that would be willing to give him that. So I don't know. It's, it, it, it is a tough thing because, you know, he has the obviously the net front presence part of his game, especially on the power play where I think that's probably going to age pretty well. But he also does so much other stuff that might not get as much recognition. And just based on his sort of 
build and and kind of the the the, the type of game he plays i wonder how that will age in the next couple of years so that's going to be a fascinating thing to follow it definitely will and uh you know one of the things that i've talked about you know kind of uh on radio shows and whatnot with simmons and it's it's hard to know whether a player would take a deal like this but you know if you're the flyers i would i would heavily push him to you know maybe overpay him for a three-year deal Mm -hmm. you know he might be worth you know five six million dollars aav on a long-term deal but if you pay him eight over three years like you know maybe that makes more sense for the flyers now of course simmons is going to want the long-term deal makes perfect sense but you know that might be the route i try to take if i'm negotiating with them because they can start negotiating with them on 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 july 1 so you know maybe you get a read on whether he's open to more of a short-term deal and if he is, then you can go down that path. You know, I'm 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 way more willing to overpay a guy on a short term deal than, you know, maybe cut down the AAV a little bit, but then you've got him for his age 35, 36, 37 years. No, that's hundred percent true. Um yeah, so I was you know, in preparation for the show, I was looking a bit closer at all the Flyers numbers and sort of their statistical profile and um what I forming in my opinion or helping form it um based on what i've seen from them in the past couple of weeks and you know for the most part especially at five on five they seem like they're kind of a middle of the pack team i think they've been trending upwards a little bit but the thing that really caught my eye and i don't know maybe this is just um sort of something that isn't actually rooted in in truth but it's just something that I, i've conjured up in my head but i'm kind of always curious because i know that for years there when steve mason was their goalie um you know there was always a discrepancy between his five on five performance in terms of save percentage and his overall and it was mostly just because he was getting completely caved in whenever the flyers would go on the penalty kill and this year it's sort of a similar deal especially with brian elliott right where i think that as a team they're second in save percentage at five on five and then there's second worst and ahead of just Edmonton I believe whenever they go down a man and I'm kind of curious if that's if that's a a talent thing both in terms of the penalty killers and the goalies themselves or if it's a system and coaching thing like what are you what are you seeing with that yeah the the penalty kill question is so fascinating because um, what was interesting about what the Flyers did in uh, the previous offseason was they they let go Joe Mullen, who was their longtime power play coach, but they kept around Ian LaPerriere, who is their their longtime penalty kill coach, who's been their coach for the past, I believe, for the previous four years. Um, he took over when they uh, they elevated Craig Berube to head coach because Berube used to manage the penalty kill. Um, and really, this is a problem that has been, you know, it's been there basically since the second year of, of LaPerriere's tenure as, as, uh, as assistant coach in charge of the penalty kill. And you almost wonder if the reason why they kept him around, aside from the fact that, you know, they like LaPerriere, he kind of functions as like a, you know, the player's coach in that, in that group that, you know, players kind of have a shoulder to lean on. But you wonder if they almost they gave him a pass because they just sort of decided that, well, Mason's just bad on the penalty kill. This isn't LaPerriere's fault. Cause if you look at like the scoring chance numbers, they don't seem that bad for the penalty kill. And I almost wonder if they sort of pinned it on Mason. And that might've been one of the reasons why they let Mason go with, without really get, putting on much of a fight. Now this year you have Brian Elliott, who historically has been pretty good on the penalty kill, or at least not noticeably bad. And the same thing's happening. So, you know, yeah, it could just be variance. You know, obviously penalty kill, it's not a huge sample size either way, even in a full year. So it's possible this could just be fluky. But you're starting to think that there's something here. And and I don't think it's the players because while there's, you know, the, the, the talent they have on the penalty kill, it's not – 
It's not drop dead amazing. I wouldn't expect them to be a top five penalty kill. But you know, Sean Gutierrez is a good penalty killer. Wayne Simmons showed some real talent last year. Claude Giroux historically been a great penalty killer. They have guys who really should be on a better penalty kill than this. And you know, I've I've done a lot of work, you know, doing tape study of the Flyers penalty kill over the last few years. And and the the thing that really sticks out to me is that. They they have a real focus, and it kind of makes sense based on the player that Lapierre was. You know, he obviously got basically got the uh, the Masterson Trophy because he came back from getting you know shot in the face by pucks multiple times. Right. You know, he he was a shot blocker. That's what he did. You know, he he put his body on the line to block shots. And what you see, I think, a lot of times with the Flyers penalty kill is that they prioritize getting in shooting lanes over actually either directly attacking the puck carrier or clearing the crease. And what happens a lot, I feel like, is I feel like they end up screening their own goalies or they totally lose the guy in front of the net. So if the puck does get through and there's a rebound because the goalie couldn't necessarily see the shooter because the guy was in the lane, then the guy in front has you know nobody's pressuring him. So he can just you know put the puck in the net you know, wide open in, in, in front. And to me, that might be it. I'm sure there's a lot of things going on here. You can't absolve Elliot entirely, just like you couldn't absolve Mason entirely. But this has gone on so long. Like they have the worst uh, penalty kill save percentage, I believe, over the past four years by like an entire percentage point. Right. It's 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 bizarre how bad they are from a save percentage standpoint of the penalty kill relative to the rest of the league. You start to think that there's got to be something here tactically because. The personnel keeps changing, the goalies keep changing, and it's the same problem over and over again. And I I would be blown away if if Leperrier has a job next year with the Flyers because, you know, there's just there's no way to justify why he should continue to coach a penalty kill that continues to be one of the worst in the league every year. Right. Especially, yeah, it's a, it's not like it's a one or two year thing, even if it's, it's dating back for four or five years now. And I, I think this sort of just as a sort of theoretical or philosophical debate is is fascinating to me because you obviously need to sort of have a certain baseline level of talent to actually execute certain stuff. But I think for the most part, uh, teams generally have at least a couple guys who should be very good on the penalty killer, very good on the power play. And I think that is the special teams component of the game is where the coaching staff can really sort of make its mark and, uh, you know, either either make a team look better than they are or make a team look worse than they are as opposed to five on five, where I think it's much more of a free flowing sort of thing where talent will win out. So the fact that year over year they're struggling here suggests to me that it's more of a coaching tactical thing than they don't have the horses to pull it off. Yeah, that, that's kind of the the side I've fallen on. And, and as always, it's going to be more complex than that. Like this isn't totally LaPerriere's fault. But at the same time, year over year, with when it's the same problem, you know, it could even just be you know a pregame scouting thing. You know, maybe he's not a great coach when it comes to scouting the opposing power plays. There's there's a lot of things that go into this. But when when it's when it's a four year thing, and not only is the is the penalty kill always bad, it's always the same problem that goalies can't stop the puck. Like there's only so long you can just keep blaming it on the goalies. Yeah, the goalies will always get blamed when the pucks are not getting stopped. But, uh, it's the nature of the beast. Um, so this summer, um, I was doing a mailbag show while everyone else was enjoying their vacation and time off from hockey. I was banging up podcasts. And one of the most interesting questions I got from a listener had to do with the Flyers. And it was sort of, it got into the idea that there's this disparity in timeline or readiness between their forward group, which is sort of, you know, you're the, the kind of the 
Couture, um, uh, sorry, Bukla Giroux, um, Wayne Simmons, Jake Voracek. You have that sort of nucleus of guys who are already, you know, either in the latter stages of their prime or will be soon exiting it. And then you have sort of this young, uh, group of defensemen that are coming up on the way. I mean, we've obviously seen Provorov at the NHL level, but, you know, Sanheim will slowly start get, make, becoming a regular with the team. Um, you know, you have Philippe Myers go on and on. And I wonder, do you sort of see that, that, that kind of disparity there? I mean, obviously, you know, no team is going to have uh, complete lockstep where all their guys are sort of on the same trajectory. That is kind of the nature of the beast. But I do find that fascinating with this team where just based on their composition, it does seem like it, it raises some interesting questions for what we were talking about earlier in terms of how you approach this trade deadline and whether you see yourself as a contender now or whether you're focusing more on the future because you sort of do want to align that as much as possible so that when every when all the guys are firing on all cylinders, you can really capitalize. Yeah, I'll agree that in the offseason, that was probably my biggest concern surrounding the team was that, you know, right when the young guys were going to get good was going to be when the older guys were going to be flat out liabilities and, and contract, you know, drags on the rest of the roster. To be honest, the the best thing that's happened to the Flyers this year, by far, and there's been a lot of good things that have happened to the Flyers. You know, Katuri's having the breakout year, Gosses Bears bounce back, Proveroff showing strides. But the most important thing that's happened to this team this year is that Claude Drew and Jake Voracek are Claude Drew and Jake Voracek again. Because last year was a down year for both of them. And particularly for Drew, it was a scary down year because Drew did not look good. He was, you know, he's he just turned 30 this year, so he's coming up on that like that part of your career where you worry if a four could possibly fall off the cliff. And Claude Giroux looked like a guy who you could make a strong case was falling off the cliff. And you know, at the end of the year, it got it got revealed that you know Giroux was still he claimed he was still suffering from the after effects of his offseason surgery, and you know that that made fans feel a little bit better. But at the same time, you know, first off, it could just be an excuse. Right. Secondly, you know, just because it was the surgery's fault doesn't mean that he's necessarily ever going to get back to where he was before the surgery. And uh, and number three, you know, you just looked at the numbers and you looked at a guy who used to be a great play driver, used to be a great scorer. He scored like a fourth liner, a five on five last year. Like it was ugly and he looked bad doing it this year. He's he's kind of been revitalized and you know one of the great moves that that Hackstall made this year he hasn't made you know a bunch of them but one of the truly brilliant moves was moving Drew to wing and him and Katuria have really you know brought out the best in each other um, in addition to Drew just looking healthier like it's very obvious that the surgery did hamper him he looks faster he looks stronger and he's just generally a more effective player and, you know, then you have Voracek, who also has something of a down year. You know, it was the first year, really, of his career where he was underwater by by advanced metrics, by, uh, you know, by Corsi and by expected goals. And that was scary because, you know, yeah, he's younger than Giroux, but he's also in his late 20s. And if both those guys fell off a cliff at the same time and they both have $8 million deal, $8 million a year deals with four or five more years left, like that could have been a disaster. And both of those guys uh, have, have stepped back up and, you know, you can expect that they're going to decline. Obviously, you know, the aging curve is undefeated, but there was a chance that Drew was actually going to be bad. And now he's back to being a really good player again. So you reassess, okay, well, he'll, he'll decline, but he's back to declining from a very, very high point. And same thing with Voracek. So now the timeline looks like it might line up a little bit better because now, you know, Drew this year is on pace for like 90 points. If he declines, but he's still a 70 point forward, then that's, that's fine. That fits with the timeline. If he declines and he's a, he's a 30 point forward with power play time, that's, that's terrifying. And that 
was the concern that last year provided. But the, the, the improvement of both those guys this year has been huge because it makes everything look like it's going to fit a little bit better with regards to the timelines of the, the vets versus the, uh, the younger guys. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how much, you know, the casual fan or someone who wasn't following the Flyers on a day-to-day basis last year sort of noticed what was going on there, right? Because the numbers obviously as a whole dipped, but their power play was so good that it was kind of propping things up on a superficial level. But when you looked a bit closer, I mean, for the whole entire team almost, like the the 5-on-5 numbers in terms of goal generation were uh, shockingly low. And yeah, the Drew thing is is fascinating. There's a lot going on there because obviously like that was should have been number one on their agenda in terms of what they were trying to get done this season in terms of figuring out what they had in him and whether they could you know get him back to something resembling his peak form because as you mentioned he has four more years after this one and uh and a lot of money owed to him and i'm kind of curious you know he has looked better from what i've seen um part of it is you know he's been benefiting from some pretty good fortune in terms of the puck balances and then obviously you know, it's it's one thing that he's moved off center and maybe has less responsibility now and, and he's benefiting from playing on the wing, but then also playing with a guy like Sean Couturier and having the puck as often as they do now, I imagine is uh, is helping boost those numbers quite a bit. Yeah, the, the Couturier thing is huge. And I think really what it's what it's allowed him to do, both the the move to wing and the you know, being put with Katuri is it's a, it's allowed Giroud to simplify his game because, you know, last year not only was he playing injured, he one of the things with, with, with Giroux, and I'll always say this about him, in, in a way it's a compliment, but it also you know speaks to why he can struggle, is that you know he is so intense on the ice, and he gets in his own head. And when he gets into his own head, he literally tries to do everything, and it results in him being able to do nothing well. And I think a lot of that was happening last year, in addition to the fact that he was slower. This year, he's been allowed to basically just be a playmaker. And I, I, we've actually talked about this... You know, before the show, I think a couple weeks ago, you know, Drew's shot numbers are way down. He's not shooting the puck at all, e- even in comparison to last year. The thing is, it hasn't mattered because, you know, he's his job or his role when he's on the ice with Couturier is to create space and get the puck to Couturier. Right. And that's why Couturier, that's why Couturier's goal scoring numbers are through the roof. And it's why Giroux's numbers are staying good. Like, yeah, Giroux isn't going to keep shooting it. I think he's like 18 or 19 percent or something. That's going to go down. But even if you control for that, he's still basically a point per game guy. And and that's coming from the fact that, you know, now I think he doesn't he doesn't have to win all the puck about battles and, and down low in the defensive zone and he doesn't have to take the shots you know one thing that was that was popping up in all the numbers recently was that Giroux's shot distance individual shot distance was was through the roof like he was shooting from further and further out every year and maybe that was because he wasn't able to get to the high danger areas to take shots anymore now he doesn't have to now Couturier does that for him and now Giroux's job is just to get him the puck and let him get to the high danger areas and score so this is this is helping him on a number of levels but in a lot of ways the Couturier pairing I think you know it's it's accounting for maybe his his newfound weaknesses as a player, and it's just letting him play to his strengths at even strength. And you're seeing the results. He's back to you know scoring like a first liner, and not just like a first line, like a really good first liner at five on five. And even if the the, so the shooting percentage comes down, which I suspect it will, you know he's still going to be above you know 2.0 points per sixty, which is you know basically first line level. Yep. Um, all right. I want to talk more about Kachuri here. Let's take a quick break uh, to hear from a sponsor, and we'll uh, we'll get into that on the other side of things. Sponsoring today's show is SeatGeek. 
SeatGeek makes it easier than ever to buy tickets to sporting events and concerts and get rid of all the complications and the confusing stuff that goes along with the whole process. Uh, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or you just need to find the perfect gift for someone, uh, SeatGeek's going to help you find the best seats at the best prices, and that's fully guaranteed. There's really nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek's going to help you get closer to the action for a great value. Um, I know I can speak from personal experience because I've obviously used them many times before myself and will do so again in February when I'm in Toronto for the trade deadline and then in Boston for the Sloan Analytics Conference. Um, but I also love that my listeners uh, actually listen to my advice here for once and use SeatGeek to go see their favorite teams. Uh, the other day, um, one of my followers, Keith Egan, um, went to the Flame Sabres game, which, I mean, I don't know about that choice of a particular event. Uh, people who have listened to this podcast and follow me on Twitter know how I feel about the Buffalo Sabres, but I guess uh, the Flames are a good time. And he sent me a picture having a blast with his buddies all wearing Flames jerseys, and they got to watch a fun overtime game. And uh, I'm happy to see that I could help them have a fun night out together. And you could as well. Um, it's going to be super simple. All you really need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek's actually going to give you $20 off your first purchase with them. So that's a pretty sweet deal. So you like Keith Egan and his friends, could go watch your favorite team play, and hopefully that game will not involve the Buffalo Sabres. Now, let's get back to the show. All right. Um, so we obviously teased at it a bit before the break, but uh, the we have to have a discussion here about Sean Couturier, and, and I gotta, you know, I gotta give us a credit. Um, <laughs> I, we we waited what twenty five, twenty six minutes here to get into an actual uh, discussion about Sean Couturier. I feel like. Uh, people would have been just mashing the under there because it seems like obviously it's the natural sort of talking point, especially we've been, you and I and many others uh, that are more analytically friendly have been talking up this guy for years. And now finally this year, it's kind of come all together for him. And obviously he's getting used in a more offensive role and playing with better players. And they've really just kind of handed over the car keys to him as the number one center and he's taken off. And it's always fascinating to me because we go through this dance every year. It seems like with a new guy where it's like, for years, their underlying numbers are tremendous and they really should be getting more selkie love, but they don't have enough points or enough offensive mainstream production to justify it. And then all of a sudden when that happens, then everyone just kind of jumps on board. And, um, I, I think my most, my favorite example of that was, uh, was here locally in Vancouver. It happened with Ryan Kessler where, you know, he was this dominant, uh, defensive center for years, but he wasn't really being used that way. And then all of a sudden they put him on the, on the power play with the Sedins and he scores 40 goals and everyone's like, Oh, like Ryan Kessler, what an amazing two way center. It's like, yeah, he's been this guy the whole time. He just wasn't being used that way, but that's exactly what's happening with Couturier this season. And I'm fascinated to see, um, how much love he gets for a Selkie, you know, it's going to be pretty tough to dethrone a guy like Patrice Bergeron, and you could certainly make a case for him as well again this year, but Couturier has got to be right up there. Like, I feel like those are sort of the two obvious guys for that award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to me, and and as you said, you know, we've been talking up Couturier for a long time. His production this year has even shocked me because I always I viewed his ceiling as basically like, you know, 60, 65 points. And he's still on pace. He's still basically point per game. You know, he's he's on pace for, you know, 40 goals and 80 something points. And that's that's insane to me that he's showing this degree of offensive, uh, you know, of offensive skill, because it, it's obvious when you watch him, like what his limitations are. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not slow. He's definitely improved his his overall skating as he's, you know, grown 
known in the NHL, but you know he's not a Ryan Kessler who, who was who obviously and still is pretty fast. But when he was in his prime, he was he was a bullet. Right. Um, you know, is more of a, a steady skater. You know, he, he controls the game, but it's more you know winning battles down low and and breaking up plays in the defensive zone and then sending his 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 line mates back the other way. So. I didn't think he could ever do this. And it's just been fascinating to watch his game progress so quickly this year because number one, when he, you know, going into the season, everyone just assumed he was going to be the second line center. People figured, you know, Giroux is Giroux. He's the one C. And then around the midpoint of training camp, they switched Giroux over to wing and it looked like it was just going to be a, an experiment, you know, maybe like, well, we can stack these guys at the end of games if we have to. And it just, it seemed to click. And then the start of the year, they, they stacked the first line with Giroux, Katuri and Voracek. And the first line was one of the best lines in hockey for basically the first month of the year. And, and Katuri, you know, he's never been a goal scorer in his NHL career, even even at five on five. You know, he's been more of an assist guy. And now they're, as I said, you know, they're simplifying Drew's game. They're simplifying Gaturier's game, too, at five on five. You know, he's still the same guy in the defensive zone, but in the offensive zone, he's basically told get to the net, get to the net. And your and your your playmakers on your line will find you. And what you're seeing out of him now is that he's got incredibly soft hands around the net. You know, he's made a number of plays into goals that really shouldn't have been because he's able to corral the puck down low and corral the puck in the net front area and in the crease and beat a goalie, you know, whether it's a rebound or whether it's uh, whether it's on a rush or, or whether it's just a cycle down low, it's just a part to his game that, you know, maybe was always there, but no one really knew because he never played with a Drew. He played with Voracek a bit over the last couple of years, but certainly he never played with Drew because they were both centers. And you're getting that out of him. And and then in addition, he's still the same guy defensively. You know, he's still one of the best defensive centers in hockey, and he's been that for the last two or three years. And what you're getting is just this, this really this monster of a center. And as I said, I, I thought Couturier was going to be good. I thought he could be good. I didn't think he was going to be this good. You know, he's he's on power play one in the in the Braden Shen spot, and he's scoring goals. You know, he's scoring goals at a fairly high rate in the sniper spot in a in a, a high power power play. And that that's something that you know even me, I never expected he was going to be able to do that. Yeah, that's that's an important note there. I don't I don't want us to hurt ourselves patting patting each other on the back because uh I he he's never even cracked 40 points in the NHL and he's going to crack 40 goals this year. So that's uh yeah, it's crazy. It is it really is the perfect storm, but you're right. It 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 it's worth noting that Obviously, the offensive production is great, and now he's going to get much more attention and much more love for various individual accolades. But the underlying stuff that made him so special before is still there. And you look at the discrepancy with, well, like for the Flyers when he's on the ice versus when he's not, and it's even better this year than it's been in the past. And that's something that you know you you, you sort of have to um, give love to because he really, whenever he's out there, it seems like the ice is slanted in the direction for the Flyers and. He's just a special player. I think that's that's the that's the best way to put it. it. Really, is a monster season. Yeah, and for the Flyers, you know, it's funny. We've I think on on this show in the past we've we've talked about you know how great of a contract Wayne Simmons had. You know, they were able to lock him up after the to the first year where he was still you know no one was really sure exactly what he was, and they got him on this really cheap deal. And now that cheap deal is is coming to a close, and they're going to have to make tough decisions on Wayne Simmons, but. Now they're almost replacing that great contract with Couturier's contract, who same deal. You know, they signed him before this year. They've got what looks like a first line center at, you know, less than four point five million dollars a year for for an extended period of time. And that's you know, that's an advantage 
that they're going to have for the length of his deal over almost every other team in hockey. And, you know, add com- combine that with the kids they have on entry level contracts. And, you know, they got Gossip Bear signed up to sign to a reasonable deal. You know, there's some real advantages the Flyers have, especially as a team that always spends the ceiling. There's some real advantages they have with these contracts. And, you know, you just hope you know, at Flyers fans certainly hope that they don't they don't screw it up by signing, you know, other guys to bad deals to uh to uh, kind of counterbalance it, but you know, Couturier on this contract is it's huge for the Flyers, and and it solves the one C problem too. Because I don't know if we're going to talk about him, but you know, going into this year, there was kind of like a, a feeling among Flyers fans that Nolan Patrick like had to be a one C because there was there was concern that you know Drew is in rapid decline and Couturier, you know, he's good, but he's just a he's just a two C, he's a middle sixer, he's never going to become the one C that you know the Flyers maybe hoped he was going to be when taking him in the top 10 of the draft and now you know Nolan Patrick and you know he's he's had his struggles in his rookie year but he doesn't have to be that one it's not a disaster if Nolan Patrick is not a first line center because they have a 25 year old first line center on a great contract now yeah really um it makes your life a lot easier and kind of puts everything else let's allow allows it to organically slide into place when you have that cornerstone uh, number one center and everything else can fit in after that I was looking at their um other cap friendly page while you were talking and uh Man, Sean Couture, yeah, four point three three million for the next handful of seasons, uh, making less money than Andrew McDonald for the next couple of years. So, um, <laughs> a lot of people are making less money than Andrew McDonald. <laughs> it's, it's true. Well, uh, quite literally, everyone on their blue line is making less than Andrew McDonald, which is crazy that he's still their uh, highest paid defenseman. But yeah, let's talk a bit about that blue line because um, you know Ovin, Ivan Provorov is uh, a big time personal favorite of mine and has been ever since he came into the NHL. And I know that uh, you share similar sentiments and. He's sort of an interesting player because when you watch him, um, he looks tremendous. Like I, I feel like I've never really seen him have a bad game, and now obviously I haven't watched every single Flyers game. I, and actually, that I should say he had that minus five, I believe, last year, and everyone was freaking out about that. But otherwise, yeah, yeah, he's, sure. he's, uh, he's, you know, he's he's so smooth and he sort of does everything that a modern day shutdown defenseman would do in terms of, you know, preventing zone entries. And he's awesome in the neutral zone and he's so slick with the puck and he, everything seems to have a purpose. He's never just recklessly throwing it off the boards and out. He's always trying to find a guy and, and he's willing to be patient and let passing lanes develop. And, you know, he's been sort of attached to that Andrew McDonald anchor for a large chunk of his NHL career so far. So it's not surprising that his overall numbers aren't that impressive. But then you see what happens when you put him with a guy like Gosses Bear recently. And when the two of them are t- together, I believe the Flyers are controlling like over 55% of the shot attempts or something at 5 on 5. And that obviously kind of makes sense. And it makes me believe that, you know, we're right to believe that Ivan Provorov really is a legitimate difference maker. And he was just being held down by his partner as, a, as opposed to being some sort of, you know, concern like people have about a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen or so on and so right. forth, where the physical skills don't match the actual output. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll freely admit, you know, while, while watching him, you, you see so much greatness in him. There's a worry, you know, there's a worry because the eyes lie sometimes. And, you know, you, you maybe this year, finally, I think everybody's sort of coming around the Bristol line and isn't that good. But, you know, for years, Buffalo fans would swear that, no, this guy is legit. He's right. legit. We watch him. And, you know, now maybe people are realizing that he's, you know, he's not bad, but he's certainly not a, you know, a 
bona fide first pair defenseman like they wanted to believe he was and you worry you worry that maybe you're 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 looking for what you want to see rather than what's there but with Provorov it just it seems so obvious that he was really good and you you watched him with McDonald and he was playing well but McDonald obviously is you know has a career of of deflating his his line mates courses and whatnot so so you kind of you kind of gave him a pass. Then this year they put him with, when McDonald got hurt. They put Provorov with Robert Haig, and you know Haig was a rookie, so you really didn't know what you had in him. And the numbers still didn't look that good. And you know I'm more leaning towards the side that Haig is you know maybe not to the degree of McDonald, but he's kind of the same type of like safe defenseman who gives up a lot of zone entries and you know has does a he's actually a, wor- a worse puck mover than McDonald. McDonald can make a decent first pass. Haig has been seemingly coached to do the off the glass and out, and and I have hopes that. Hay can improve, but it, it it was worrisome because the numbers were still bad with Hague, and then you were like, well, maybe Hague isn't that good, and then you start wondering, oh, am I just making excuses for Provorov? You know, is this, am I just thinking to myself that, like, well, Provorov has to be good, so I'm blaming everyone else, and that's why this Gossas Bear pairing has been so rewarding, you know, for, for me in particular, but I think for fans in general, because it's like, yes, you know, this is, this is what I knew was there, and it wasn't showing up in the numbers, and now it is because this is the first time he's ever been paired with a defenseman even you know his his three primary pairings he's had in his career he had like what was left of mark streit and then mcdonald and then haig and none of those guys are really anything above third pair defensemen at the nhl level gossip bear is the first actual difference maker he's had and and you're seeing you know he he actually he actually did have a poor game um against the uh, the red wings last night it was one of his rare ones but over the last three weeks aside from maybe that game you know proveroff has been has been incredible i i looked at um i was doing my my stock report a couple days ago and over the previous week, this is this is an incredible stat to me. Over the previous week, uh, which was four games, uh, Provorov led the Flyers in scoring chances uh, from natural stat trick. And I'm not just saying led the defense; like he led the entire team in scoring chances, which is amazing because he's a defenseman and he's also not like a gossip bear defenseman where he's constantly taking risks, but just playing with it, another guy who could you know constantly switch sides with him, and you know he could he could move down in the zone and and believe that. That Gosses Bear was going to cover for him. You know, he was being more active in the offensive zone. He was taking. You know, he was he was just being more of a difference maker than you've you'd ever seen him before. And it was just turning him into this. It's, it's turn. It seems like it's turning him into this real, real statistical difference maker rather than just being good via the eye test. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it seems like such an obvious match made in heaven. We've been talking about it and hoping for it for a while, and it's good to see it finally happen. I do wonder, sort of from a roster building or lineup construction perspective, like when you have guys like Andrew McDonald and Robert Haig, and you know they're they're now playing together. Like it's it's always fascinating to me what how you approach because uh, obviously ideally you wouldn't have guys like that in the lineup you would have just guys that, that are awesome and are always moving the needle for you but that's unfortunately not the way it works in the salary cap world. And I wonder if it's like one of those things where you acknowledge that things aren't probably going to be great when those guys are on the ice and you're probably going to be sort of turtling in your own zone more often than you'd like, but you just sort of accept that that's going to happen and you play those guys together and you kind of tough out those minutes as opposed to sort of spreading out the wealth and always putting an anchor with a really good guy and hoping for middling results. I wonder like sort of that, you know, front loading versus spreading the wealth um, debate is always fascinating to me from a lineup construction perspective. 
Yeah, no doubt. And I think one of the reasons why the Flyers are doing well uh, from a win-loss standpoint recently is because even though the the Haig-McDonald pairing, you know, it's getting it's getting destroyed territorially. They're they're losing the shot and chance battle, but they're not doing terrible from a goal standpoint. So like in the short term, it's kind of working. Now, I'd not to say I expect that to continue, but in the short term, like they're holding their own goals wise. And then Pro Ruff and Gosses Bear just torching everyone. Um, one thing though, I, I will say about the whole. Uh, in this in this particular case, the the whole thing about stacking your your top pair, or your the top end of your lineup, and maybe having other pairs or other lines suffer. To me, one of the really important parts about giving Proveroff a shot with a guy like Osbear for an extended period of time is that you know I thought it was really important for the Flyers to have a more accurate view of what Ivan Proveroff is for this reason, so he can sign an extension on July 1. And considering the minutes he's gotten, you know, he's been used been used as a first, you know, a first pair number 1 defenseman basically since this, you know, maybe since a month and a half into his rookie year. Mm-hmm. He's going to get paid. You know, he's going to get probably he's probably in like the uh, the Aaron Eckblatt bracket for a uh, for a post ELC extension. Maybe a little bit lower because he didn't win the Calder, but like he's in that range. And the Flyers have had to know. I don't know if they're even looking at this stuff, but like for me, if I'm the Flyers, I have to know if Proveroff is as good as I think he is. I have to see that. I can't. I can't hand him sixty million dollars over a long term deal on faith. You know, thinking, well, he's got to be as good as I think he is. No, I want to see him prove that he's as good as I think he is, and see that tangibly show up in the numbers. So. Even if the the Hague McDonald pairing like falls apart over the next couple, you know, next month or so, to me it's valuable, you know, just from a future roster construction standpoint, just to know that Provorov is actually as good as I think he is, and make me feel better about giving him all that money. Yeah, no, definitely, you got you have to see it to believe it. It's not, you know, I actually need to see it in practice on the ice, but at the same time. Um at this point, I think I've seen enough. Give him, give him, all, yeah. give him all the money. <laughs> um, is there, uh, is there anything else in this team that we haven't covered yet? In this, in terms of this deep dive, like I feel like, uh, I mean, we haven't talked too much about Yori Laterra, but that's, uh, that's yeah. Let, let, let's reasons. just ignore that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's with good reason. I mean, I feel like we kind of hit all the main points here. I mean, we're let's kind of put a ball on it. Where are you at with this team right now? Because obviously um, there's quite a few bright spots and there's reason to be excited and, you know, they're competing for a playoff spot, which maybe during that losing streak seemed like a, a pipe dream, but it's obviously not all, uh, not all peachy either. There's obviously flaws with this team and big decisions ahead. Um, so where are you at with them in terms of kind of taking a, a, a stock report right now of them? Yeah. I mean, I think at this point they're, they're in a position where, if I had to guess, I would say they make the playoffs at this point, just because I think they have less problems than a lot of the other um, than a lot of the other Metro teams. Like I don't know what's going on with the Rangers right now, but it seems like they're kind of a mess. The Islanders, I you know, they haven't been that good recently. Carolina, I've 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 referred to them as the best theoretical team in history. Like they should be good, but something always happens, whether it's goaltending or bad luck or whatever, that they they never actually you know live up to their underlying numbers. Uh, I, I think they they will make the playoffs. I don't think they'll win a round. Maybe they'll they'll do uh, you know they'll they'll give their their opponent a decent showing. But to me, what what's exciting right now about this team is that the the secondary scoring is coming around, which has been great. You know, Travis Konechny has really stepped up ever since being put on that uh, the Giroux Couturier line. And granted, you know, it helps being with those two guys, but he's only twenty years old, and this is the first time you're seeing 
you know, kind of not to the degree of Provorov, but he's a guy who you watch play and you're like, this guy's going to be good. But the numbers weren't there. The scoring wasn't there. Now it's it's been there. He's won two straight games in overtime just by, you know, finally finding his shot and using his electric speed. So, you know, he's been a revelation. Uh, as I said, you know, Nolan Patrick got off to a really bad start this year. He's one of the worst play drivers in hockey for the first couple of months of his career. He's actually been their best best forward by Corsi in January, so it seems like he's settling in, which has stabilized the third line. Um, you know, it, it's it's getting better because at the start of the year they only had the one line; they only had Giroux, Couturier, and Voracek, and now they're in a position where Giroux and Couturier seem like they're going to succeed whoever that third wheel is. Um, Voracek is basically dragging around Valtteri Filippo to the point where that line can at least function decently and the Patrick Simmons wheel line is working so now you have three lines that are at least solid you have that first line that's still great and you have two lines that can work and then you have a great first pairing and you know hopefully at some point they bring Sanheim back and they reunite him with Gudis because I think that's a pair that has a lot of potential but there's holes on this team definitely but there's there's enough good things going on that you know, they really should, in my mind, make the playoffs. And the thing I, I just go back to is you know, they have three forwards right now that are among the top, at least the top 30 forwards in hockey this year, might be even higher. You know, um, like Dom's game score when he did his, uh, his post a couple weeks ago, he had Drew Couturier and Voracek all in the top 15. I don't think they're still there, but like when you have three of the top 15 forwards in hockey, you should make the playoffs. And now, you know, with the fact that the the other guys are starting to pick it up, they they really should provide enough support to get this team in the playoffs, and and that's a step forward. That's a step forward from last year, and hopefully it's something to build on to uh, you know to the next couple seasons. Hmm, a Metro Division team with three of the top fifteen forwards who might not make the playoffs. That sounds super familiar. Do you think? <laughs> uh, do you think what, what do you think Penguins fans are doing right now? Do you think they're pulling their hair out, or do you think they're uh, laughing or crying? I mean, you could pretty much say the exact same thing about them. Yeah, that's true. Although I, I mean, I have a lot more respect for the Penguins' depth than I do the the Flyers' depth, particularly uh, particularly on defense, I guess. And I, I also think that I mean, I have a lot more respect for Mike Sullivan. Um, you obviously have to have respect for a coach who's won two straight Stanley Cups. I, I expect the Penguins are going to be in the playoffs. I as as a as a born and raised Philadelphian, I hope they're not there, but it would absolutely shock me if they're not. You know, the second or third seed in the Metro when this whole thing shakes out. Well, yeah, handicapping that division is so fascinating because, you know, I, I feel like the Capitals at this point have built up enough of a cushion from those other teams that they'll be fine. But I mean, even they, you know, they lost so much depth this summer and their underlying numbers have been pretty suspect for a while now. Obviously, the talent is still there, but it's not like, you know, they're world beaters like they've been in the past. And then the Devils, um, you know, Hall's out right now. Corey Schneider went out the other day. They've obviously been kind of outperforming the underlying numbers as well. So it's very conceivable that they fall off the map. I mean, Columbus was doing great at the start of the year, but now they can't seem to buy a goal. You know, you have all those concerns you mentioned with the New York teams. Like, it's such a fascinating division in terms of handicapping it for how it's going to play out in the who which five teams are going to make the playoffs and how it's going to look in terms of the order because you could really pretty much just put all these teams names into a hat and just pick out five of them yeah yeah you're absolutely right and i guess you know one of the fun parts about it and you can thank the atlantic division is that you you almost certainly know that five teams are going to make the playoffs out of this division. So it kind of makes it, it makes the storylines a little bit more interesting because there's lots of different combinations because you know that there isn't a fourth team coming out of that Atlantic division because past the top three teams, it's kind of a disaster. Yep. No, it's a hundred percent. Um, all right, Charlie, uh, plug some stuff. What are you, uh, what are you working on these days? Obviously since the last time we had you on, you've, uh, 
you've kind of gotten a bit of a promotion and you're doing you're covering the flyers full time now for the athletics so that's pretty exciting um what do you into other than just kind of game recaps and following them on a daily basis are you working on any other big projects uh well i mean i'm trying to catch back up on my uh, my penalty kill project i i've tracked them the last two years um and so it would be great to have a third year and then really be able to you know judge some uh some trends over time and maybe make some observations on repeatability and things like that so that'll be fun um aside from that you know it's just kind of uh kind of getting used to the grind of being a full-time journalist it's the first time i've ever ever done this it's always been a side gig so this year's been uh, been a blast working for the athletic and running the uh, the flyer section over there all right well you've been doing a good job and i hope uh i hope it i hope it continues and i hope uh the flyers give us reason to keep talking about them and we'll have you back on the show sometime <laughs> down the road I'm sure they will. As we said, whether they're winning or losing, they're never boring. That's, yeah, truer words have never been spoken. All right, Charlie, um, it was fun, and we'll chat soon. All right, thanks, Dimitri. Cheers. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.